Thank you, praise team, for leading us a time of praise. I just love uh, praising with all of you, especially Sunday morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I, just, I just enjoy Sundays. Do you? And just being here and then just, uh, boy, I feel the heat. <laughs> My first time in uh, summer uh, or spring in Uptown, but welcome to Uptown, but it feels good. It feels good regardless. Uh, to be in the house of the Lord. Well, four weeks ago, we started a me uh, message series called Reckless Love of God. And we talked about this subject because, or the esteem, because again, we, all of us experience the love of God. And the word reckless, we all know it means rash. It doesn't care about the consequences. And we talked about how Jesus did not care about the consequences of being humiliated, of being tortured, being spit at, being ridiculed at, and being hung on the cross and have the nail on his, on his hands and feet and, and, and thorn on his, on his head. He didn't care about those consequences because he cared more about you. And that's why we call it reckless love of God. You know, and that's why we're excited to be here this morning. And, and uh, four weeks ago, we kicked it off by talking about Jesus gave a story because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law was complaining, you, Jesus, spending too much time with the sinners and too much time with the tax collectors. And so Jesus said, you don't know what the heart of God is. You guys are religious leaders. You're supposed to know what the heart of God is. It's your job. It's your calling to spend time with the sinners, to spend time with the tax collectors so they may be saved. But they rather be see sinners condemned than to be saved. So that's why Jesus says, let me tell you the story, the heart of God. And he started off by talking about a, a shepherd who had 100 sheep and, and one just kind of drifted away. And he left in 99 to go look for that one loss. And then he also told about the story about a woman who had 10 coins, and she lost the one of the coin, and she had nine, but she turned the house upside down to look for that one coin. And Jesus gave that parable because this represents the heart of God. He cares for the loss. He, it matters, loss matters to him. Second week, we talked about the prodigal son. Again, he's continuing on that theme about that God reaches out to the lost son. That his heart, is, his heart is full of love and compassion, and he waits for that son to come back. We all know the third week, we talked about last week, the older brother who complained about the younger son to the father. Just like the Pharisees, just like the teachers of the law, they complained to Jesus so that the older brother complained to the father saying, this son of yours who represented, and Jesus was looking at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in their eyes and said, this older son, you're probably criticizing because how can he talk to his father that way? How could he not be happy that his younger brother is back? But Jesus looked them in the eyes and said, you guys are just like this older son. You represent this older son who complains to the father and that you are complaining to me. Well, today we're going to talk about redemption. I know that on the flyer I made a little typo and I put it on fragrant offering on the flyer. But the theme that we're going to talk about today is redemption. I love that word redemption, that we've been redeemed. 
And all of us have been redeemed. And that is why we are here today to celebrate and to give thanks because we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Uh, just yesterday, uh, my daughter graduated from high school. And uh, congratulations to her. We're proud of her. And you have this booklet. And within this booklet, there are lists of graduates of 2021. So all the graduates of 2021 who made it for four years are on this booklet. The name is on the booklet. It's on there. And the, and the, 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 the staff calls each person by name. They come up and collect their diploma. They made it four years. Now, I don't know. I didn't ask this to my daughter, Rachel. I said, are there students who began at the school as a freshman? Did they complete it? Did they finish it? Did they, walk the, did they finally able to walk the aisle like you did? I didn't ask her that. Most likely, there may be some student who, may, uh, who started off as a freshman, did not make the list, was not able to walk that aisle because for some reason. And when I looked at this list of names, and what got me into my mind was about the book of life. The book of life. And the question that I have to ask all of you, beginning with me, is your name written in the book of life? You began as a follower of Christ. You began as to say, no, I love Christ. I want to commit my life to Christ. And I want to give my life to Christ. As Peter said to Jesus, I will go with you everywhere. And then he denied him three times, didn't he not? There are people like that. But when the journey is over, when that we have graduated and that this life is over, that when we are walking that aisle, is the Lord God calling your name? Is your name written in the book of life? And if you know someone that the name of, is not written in the book of life, of life, what are you doing in your part? So that they can be walking that aisle with you. And their name will be written in the book of life. And they will be hearing the words of Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now come and enter the rest. Now you may hear those words. But perhaps some of the people that you know may not hear those words. You may hear those words because you have been redeemed by Christ. But we're called to share the gospel. And again, uh, Elder Doug and, and our dear brother Tim talked about that. Again, the gun violence begins, beginning, starting with the memorial, the, uh, the weekend, the holiday weekend. And that's why we want to be out there and say, well, listen, there's alternative. There's a better choice that you can make by picking, versus picking up a gun versus picking up the Bible. You know, we as a church want to be a community, want to be a church that gives that opportunity to the people out in the streets and say, pick up the Bible rather than picking up the gun or knife or your fist. And so having said that, we want to begin our uh, topic for this morning about redeem. And let's pray before we start. Father, we thank you and we praise you. 
for you are a good God. And Father, we come to you asking you now that you would teach us what it means that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that if, if some of us here are just feeling weary and down or tired or just hot, I just ask right now that you would replenish them and you would fill them with the cool air of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would ignite them and say, I want to hear the Word of God. And I want the Word of God to teach me. I want the Word of God to transform me. I want the Word of God to change me so that I can love and love and have compassion and I can have forgiveness. God, I pray that you will give us that open heart. We thank you. And now may the meditation of my heart and the words that are spoken through this servant may be pleasing to you. In the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen? A young man was going 100 miles per hour on a 55 limit expressway. And the police officer with his radar gone immediately saw that, boy, saw that car coming pretty fast and shot at the, at the car, and lo and behold, it read 55, excuse me, 100 miles per hour. And he immediately reacted, and he turned on the siren, and he was chasing that young man who was going 100 miles per hour. And the young man who was driving, he saw in the rearview mirror the flashing lights, and he knows that he was in trouble. So he pulled on the side, and the officer walked next to him, approached his car, had him roll down the window and said, son, you know what you're doing? And the, son, the young man replies, uh, I was driving, <laughs> you know. I said, do you know that you were going 100 miles per hour? I said, no, I didn't really pay attention. Well, you went over 45 miles per hour speed limit, and that is a direct violation, and I'm going to have to take you into the police station, and you're going to be sitting in the overnight jail until you see the judge, and he will give you a verdict. So he took the young man into the, into the uh, uh, cell, and he hadn't spent all night. Morning came. The officer brought in the young man into the courtroom. And the judge, they, and then the, 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 the person that I forgot what you call it, the the sitting next to it said, oh, the officer said, all rise, judge is coming. So everyone rised up, and then the judge sat down, and the first case was this young man. The judge looked at the report. He said, boy, what were you thinking? Going 45 miles over the speed limit. You could have killed someone. You could have harmed someone. He said, I don't need to discuss any further. You are guilty going over 45 miles per hour. And he slammed his hammer. And he said, you have two options. One, the fine is $1,000 because I want to teach you a lesson. Second option, if you cannot pay for that $1,000, then you're going to have to spend one month in prison to teach you a lesson. And the young man looked up the judge and said, Judge, I don't have $1,000. I'm, I'm fragile, and I can't spend uh, one month in prison. I can't survive there. Well, the judge said, you should have think twice before you did this. You're guilty. 
The young man pleaded, Judge, have compassion upon me. Please help me. The judge looked at the young man's eyes. Didn't say anything. Got up from his chair. Walked down and exited the courtroom. The judge went inside his, court, uh, his uh, chambers in his office. He took off his robe and put it on his hanger. And he went to his wall that was a built-in safe. He opened up the safe and he took out $1,000 from that safe. This was a wealthy judge. He closed that safe, went to his coat hanger and then put on his jacket. Not the robe, but his jacket. And he went back. He, we didn't go out he didn't go out the front, but he went to the back. He went to the back, and he approached the son, the young man, and he handed him $1,000. And the boy was shocked. The judge didn't say anything. He went back into his chambers, put up his jacket on the coat ringer, put on his robe again, walked into this courtroom, and sat on his bench, says, young man, you're guilty. And he slammed the hammer, boom. But the young man was able to pay the fine. What did the judge do? The judge was a righteous judge. He has to be true with the call. He has to be true to the law. He cannot show any favoritism and said, you are not guilty. He was guilty. He broke the law. But what the judge did was he had compassion, and he took the $1,000 that he had, and he ransomed them, and he paid for the penalty. You see, that's what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. Amen? The Father, the Heavenly Father, who is the judge, is a righteous judge. He cannot, be, he cannot break the law. He cannot compromise the law. That's who he is. And he said, you are guilty. But you are guilty. However, Jesus Christ has paid for your ransom. Jesus Christ has paid for your sins. Jesus Christ has freed you. He repurchased you. So now you are free. Amen? That's what redemption means. That's what it means that we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? That is the gospel. And that is what we're going to talk about this morning. Our text this morning is, if you, as you know, is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. If most of you, if not all of you, are familiar. But before that we look into 7 and 10, what did Paul talk about in verses uh, one, uh, 1 through 6? He talked about that we've been adopted. He been, talked about we've been chosen. And he Paul was just praising God and giving thanks to God and celebrating who he is because of what God did for him. And then he goes on to look at verses 7 and 10. And, and as we look at this text, we will study what it means, how we've been saved, and who saved us. And Paul, and we will continue to discover that there's a lot of grace in this text that's going on. And so I hope and pray that as you look into this text and as we study it together, that you be encouraged, that you be fired up because of what God has done for you. Amen? So turn with me with Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 7. Paul said this, 
In him we have what? Redemption. Through his blood. Let me press the pause button here. And look at the word redemption carefully. The Greek word for redemption is alapachosis. Alapachosis. Which means buying back from, catch this, repurchasing, winning back what was previous forfeited or lost. When we think about purchase, we immediately think about money, right? We have to have money to purchase some items for groceries, for clothes for us to wear, the electronic things that we need, the, uh, the home. And so we need money to purchase things. That's our immediate thought when we think about purchase. But I want us to think deeper as followers of Christ. That is not money that Christ purchased you or me, but it is through his blood that he purchased you and me. Amen? There's a huge difference with that. It is, his it is through his blood that you and I have been redeemed. One day, father and son decided to do a project together. The father knew that the boy liked boats, ships, and sailboats. So he went to his son and said, son, why don't you and I build a sailboat together? And the boy was all excited and says, yeah, that would be great. If we could build a sailboat together, that would be great. And the father looked at the opportunity that he's going to spend time with his young son and he's going to do a, a thing together. And they spent about two months building this sailboat together. At the end of the two months, they were able to finish it. The sailboat was beautiful. And the father looked at the son and he said, son, you want to test it now? And the son said, yeah, then, let's do it. Let's do it. And so they went to the local lake uh, or the ocean, and they went to the shore, and then they had the, the son was carrying his ship. He was so very proud that he made it, and so he was very careful. And finally, he went to the shore. He let it loose. He put it down on the shore, and the boat or the uh, sailboat floated beautifully. And it was floating very nice. But all of a sudden, you and I know, living in Chicago, there's sometimes there's a gust of wind coming, right? right? And all of a sudden, there was a gust of wind that was about 30 miles, and it drifted that sailboat way out of the shore, the reach for the sun. The sun is looking at his sailboat, drifting away. He's like, he's like, Dad, Dad, can you go in? He says, Son, I can't go in. It's too dangerous. Dad, I want to go in. He's like, No, no, it's too dangerous. You can't go in. And the sailboat just drifted away. The sun... His heart, was broke, heart, his heart was broken. Two months of making that sailboat. And he loved that sailboat. But he couldn't save it. Drifted away. Next day, he went to the, along the shore, looked for that sailboat. For the past 30 days, he went every day, every day along the shore to see if the sailboat had drifted back to the shore. With great disappointment, it was not. It did not happen. Next day, he was just walking around the shore, and he noticed a, a little store that sell gifts, gift items. 
And as he was passing by in the window, there was a, a, a grand presentation of the sailboat in the window. It says for sale. And the son, the boy, looked at the sailboat. That's my sailboat. He got so excited. So he, he went immediately into the, into the store. And he went to the store owner and said, hey, that's my sailboat. Can I have it back? And the store owner, he wasn't nice. <laughs> he said, I paid good money for that sailboat from a fisherman. So if you want that sailboat, you're going to have to bring cash. And you're going to have to purchase it. The boy was disappointed, but at the same time excited that he found his sailboat. See, he went, immediately went to the, to the house. And he, he asked his mom and dad, he said, I found the sailboat, but I need the money. And then he, told, he asked his brothers and sisters, and they all gathered the money so that he could purchase the sailboat. So he, he had the money in his pocket. He's running back to the store. And he gave it to the owner. And, and the owner handed him the sailboat. And it's yours. And the young boy, the little boy, holding up his sailboat. He's touching it. And he says, twice, you're mine. First, I made you. Second, I purchased you. Amen. And Jesus Christ is reminding you this morning, my dear brothers and sisters. And he's saying to you, and he's, he's talking to your heart right now, and he says, twice you are mine. First, I created you and made you. Second, I repurchased you. But I didn't purchase you with any type of money, but I purchased you with my life. I purchased you with my blood. Amen? This is what redemption means. A payment made in full. Of ransom. We desperately needed a Savior. And Christ, knowing that, gave His life for you and me. Because He knew that we couldn't do it on our own. In our own strength, we cannot save ourselves. With our own ability, we cannot save ourselves. It is only through Christ and Christ alone. Amen? Christ, listen church, Christ purchased us to be the church. We are his church. We are his bride. We belong to him. Twice we're his. First he created us. And second, he bought us and purchased us with his blood. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter said this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But it was the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You see, our redemption costs Christ his life. Who would do that? This is reckless. It is the reckless love of God. Only the loving Father would do that. 
Now, with redemption comes forgiveness. Notice in verse 7, Paul said this, the forgiveness of sins. We all struggle with sins, don't we? We all struggle with it. Even Paul was aware of his own sin. A man that who wrote most of the New Testament letter, a man who was known as the, the, the man of God, struggled with sin. Listen what he said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Christ Jesus came into the world for what? To save sinners. Of whom I am the worst. That's what Paul is saying. But for that very reason, I will show mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immerse, immense patience. Jesus is patient with us. As an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal. Now, there's something about Paul. As he's talking about Paul like this. As he's talking about praise God that who should save me. And then that, that again, I am the worst. And he knew that Jesus could, Jesus redeemed him. Jesus has saved him. And as he talks, thinking about Jesus, how good he is and how he's, he redeemed him. He can't, he's got to say, hold on now. And he goes off and he, and, and he digresses and he starts praising God. Look what, that's why I have to say, that's why I add verse 17. What does verse 17 say? He says, now to him, the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. I'm, I don't know, if you cannot raise your hand for that, come on, brothers and sisters. That's what Christ has done for us. And as Christ has done for us, and as we start talking about Christ, we're going to digress a little bit like Paul and say, we're going to start saying it to him who is the king, to him who is eternal, to him who is immortal, invisible, the only God, to be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Come on, church. For in the blood of Christ we are forgiven. It is complete because of Jesus' blood is infinite. John Calvin preached his sermon in Geneva in 1558. And he says, God puts our sins out of his remembrance. God doesn't remember your sin. Something that we have to learn. Because sometimes when someone sins against us, we remember that sin, that someone sinned against us, don't we? But John Calvin says, God puts our sins out of his remembrance and drowns them in the depths of the sea and moreover receives the payment that was offered him, meaning the Father, in the Son, person of his only Son. Jesus gave the payment to the Father, and the Father received the payment. And that's why the Father remembers our sins no more. It is done. Loved ones, total forgiveness is only possible through the work of Christ. It is by His grace that we are saved. Notice in verse 7 and 8, Paul said this, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. Imagine, if you will, the wealthiest man in the world was going to give you his riches. There's two ways this wealthy man could give you his riches. One is according to his riches. 
Second, from his riches. What's the difference? You see, if the wealthy man gives his riches to you according to his riches, it's abundance. It's unlimited. But however, if he decides that he's going to give you from his riches, then it's limited to what you're going to receive. And here what Paul is telling us is that God, Jesus, is not giving us from his riches, but he's giving us according to his riches. So therefore, he's giving us is unlimited. What the kingdom is available to us is unlimited to you and available to you. There's no limitations. It is overflowing from unmerited love. And it is available to you and me. Overflowing. Unmerited. It's not just something that we do or we deserve. No. Unmerited grace. Let me give you an example of overflowing. I have with me this uh, jug of water. And I have this little mug here. And as I pour into this little mug of this water, most people will say, okay, I'll stop at the top, at the brim. That's what most people will do. But however, when God the Father gives us his unmerited grace, it is overflowing. It overflows and overflows and overflows and overflows because God gives us according to his wealth. Not from it. He's not frugal. He's not stingy. When he gives, he just overflows. That's what it means. He lavishly pour out his grace upon us. That's the kind of God that we have. Amen? God's grace is overflowing. The Greek word for lavish is porisisio, which means exceed. Go beyond the expected measure, above and beyond. You and I have certain expectations, but God will give you exceed of your expectation. If you ask for one banana, God will give you dozens of banana. If you ask for one apple, God will give you dozens of apple. And that's what Paul is talking about. Overflowing, overflowing. It doesn't stop. And that's why I call reckless love of God. God's grace goes beyond our expectations. God also gives us wisdom with his grace. For he knows uh, we need wisdom. I need wisdom to live this life. You need wisdom? So notice in the latter part of verse 8, he says, with all wisdom and understanding. When we first look at this verse, it looks like Paul is saying, with God's wisdom, with God's understanding, that he gives grace. But is that what Paul is saying? No. But the English translation can be misleading. What Paul is really saying that is God gives us wisdom and God gives us understanding. You see? When we are in God's word daily, reading his word daily faithfully, he will equip us with spiritual discernment to face anything that comes in our way. 
You see? Do you have a dose of God's wisdom this morning? Do you have a little dose of God's understanding this morning? If you have not, then go back home and go into the word of God's word so that you will get a dose of God's wisdom, the God's dose of God's understanding. The wisdom that he gives, we cannot, we can understand the most difficult situation that we face and that we will make the right choices and the right decision because God has given us wisdom and understanding for allows us to do so. And this wisdom and understanding only he gives to the redeemed. Notice in verse 9, Paul said this, He made known to us mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. The Greek word for mystery is mysterion, which means it is what can only be known through revelation because God reveals it. You see, as redeemed people, God gives us his revelation so that we would be able to understand the, the word of God. That as we pray, that he will give us his revelation so that we'll be able to have wisdom to make the right choices, to make the right decision. The reason why that we don't have wisdom is not the earthly wisdom, but we're talking about the heavenly wisdom that we talked about this past Wednesday. The reason why we don't have the heavenly wisdom because we're not asking for God's wisdom. Because remember, James says, if you don't have wisdom and if you lack wisdom, ask God in prayer for wisdom. And he will give it to you overflowingly. Not limited, but overflowingly. You see? So what is this mystery that Paul is telling us about? In verse 10, Paul explains, when the time reach their fulfillment. Simply put, when the time is right. It is in God's timing. Not our timing, but God's timing. What, when that time is right, what he would, he will bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. For, when, for us who have been redeemed, we have this hope knowing that God is in control in the past, in the present, and the future. All the questions that we have, all the uncertainties that we may experience, God will make it clear according to his good and perfect time. And that's what Paul is talking about here. But what does Paul mean when he says all things in heaven and on earth, as you see it behind me. What does it include? All those who are redeemed in Christ are united in the body of Christ. That's what is included. And I want you to underline the word unity. I want you to underline the word united. Because all those who are redeemed, such as yourself and myself, what will be made clear and what all things will be in heaven and earth will be included is what call, Paul calls being united in Christ. Amen? Loved ones, we must never forget that we all share the blessings, the elections, 
the election, the adoptions, the grace, the redemption, forgiveness, and spiritual wisdom that Paul has been talking about from verses 1 through chapter 10, verses 1 through verses 10. We are all brought together in him, and we must be one. John Calvin again said this, By uniting together both into his own body, Christ has conjoined them to God, the Father, that he might establish a true harmony in heaven and on earth. That's God's desire. That's Christ's desire to bring harmony in the body of Christ. As we were having all this meeting, I shared the vision. And as, as you know, the, I've been sharing this all this time, that I believe the vision that God has given us as a church is unity. That we all need to be one. That we all need to be together. That we all need to be as one body of Christ. Amen? Because that's what Christ died for. Now, this is not my vision. It did not start with me. Where did it start? It started with Christ. It's Christ's vision for UBC. It's Christ's vision for Uptown Baptist Church that we be united under the Lordship of Christ. Amen? In closing, Michael Rydelic, some of you know, he's a professor at uh, Moody Bible Institute. Uh, he teaches Jewish study because his background is he's Jewish, who's been converted into Christi uh, Jesus Christ. So he's, he's a Messianic Jew. And he's, he was on a talk show in the morning this week with a car and the crew early in the morning. And they were talking about how Christ forgives sins. And they were talking about how Christ redeemed us. And as I was listening to it very carefully, he gave a powerful illustration about, a, about college students. When college students, when they first get a credit card, that's a life changer. They start taking out people to lunch, and they said, I got it. And they flip out the car, uh, credit card, and they charge it, right? And they, they need some books, so they go to a bookstore, and they, they purchase the some books with a credit card. And so if they need some other items, clothes or whatever, or anything for the dorm, they'll go to the store and they what? They'll charge it on the credit card. And they're like, wow, this credit, credit card is great. Until what happens when the bill comes? <laughs> the bill comes and they're like, I don't have money to pay for this. And what do they do? I'll pay the minimum. They pay the minimum. It's about maybe $10 at that time, the first bill. But that minimum does not do any damage to the principal. That, min that, minimum, balance, uh, that minimum payment doesn't even affect the interest. Does it? Right? But these college students, they don't learn the lesson. Next month, you want to go for lunch? It's on me. They buy the lunch. They see the girl that they like. Hey. Can I take you out for coffee? I'll charge it. Right? If they need whatever they need, they charge it. And then the bill comes. Oh, man. I can't tell my mom and dad about this. They're going to yell at me. What do they do? I'll pay the minimum. They pay the minimum. It doesn't 
it doesn't even do damage to the principal. They pay the minimum. It doesn't even affect the interest. They don't learn their lesson. And it goes on and on and on and on. And it goes on. Minimum payment. Minimum payment. And minimum payment. You see, that's what the, the high priest did in the Old Testament. In the Day of Atonement, once a year, they would go into the Holy of Holies and they would sacrifice a lamb. The forgiveness of sin of Israel. But that lamb only pays the minimum. You see? 